Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Joining me again this morning on Next on the T, I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I have the wonderful privilege of having two great guests back on the show with me this morning. First up is going to be 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel. I'm really looking forward to catching up with Sean. He's down in Florida sharpening this game for uh, the 2015 season. We're rooting really hard to see his name back at the top of the leaderboards. Uh, you're not going to find a nicer guy than Sean McGill, so rooting for him is easy, and I'm sure no one is going to outwork Sean, so something tells me that brighter times are ahead for Sean on the PGA Tour, and then down the road a little bit on the Champions Tour a couple years from now as well. We'll talk about that and, uh, and a lot more when he joins me here in just a few moments. A little later this hour, LPGA professional Missy Bertiotti will be back to give us an update on her instructional series, focusing this time on the mental side of the game. And with everything going on with uh, Tiger Woods' this game, the mental part has become a big topic. So we'll get into that with Missy when she joins me about 20 minutes from now. So we got two great guests in store for you, and we can't thank you enough for deciding to listen in on the show this morning. But before we get started... I want to remind you about our new sponsor, Custom Golf Bags USA. Custom Golf Bags USA is the ideal choice for corporates and individuals wanting to customize their logo on high-quality golf gear. Their founder, Travis McLean, has taken his love for golf to new levels for all golfers, uh, golf lovers around the world. They understand that everyone wants to dress like a golf professional, play like a golf professional, and now with Golf Bags USA, you can have a, uh, a golf bag like a golf professional. At Custom Golf Bags USA, they design their golf bags with the individuality of the customer in mind. They offer the best in quality and innovation by utilizing the most cutting-edge production technologies and expert workers to ensure your bag is at the top of its class. Custom Golf Bags USA knows that top-quality golf bags are more than just fancy embroidery and needlework. It's the effective blend of high-standard material, superior design, and top-notch customer service. Everything from the interior structure of the bags to the outer panels is created with the utmost care and attention to detail. Why not let your clients walk the fairways promoting your company's brand and Custom Golf Bags USA can utilize or customize a golf bag that is actually going to make you a legacy with those folks and something that they'll never forget. It's your game, your way. For more information, check out their Facebook page, Custom Golf Bags USA, and give them a like. That's important to them, too. All right, I want to kick off the show like we do every single week here by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank you for your daily sacrifices and all you do to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank those of you who serve or have served in every branch 
of the military and public service. We truly appreciate what you do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the folks over at Armed Forces Radio. It's an honor for us to be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. And we also want to thank everyone listening in on iHeartRadio as well as great radio sites across the Internet like Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Player.fm, and Blog Talk Radio as well. Plus, if someone's dragging you to the mall or to the grocery store or you're just tired of the same old, same old on your commute, download the Player.fm or Stitcher app on your smartphone and take us with you everywhere you go. Let us give you something fun to focus on while you're out and about. All right, I got my first guest hanging on the line with me, and that is Sean McKeel. He is back on the Custom Golf Bags USA guest line. Let me remind you a little bit about Sean's background. He's originally from Orlando, Florida, and later moved over to Memphis, Tennessee. Why? Because his father was one of the original pilots for FedEx. Uh, We actually attended the same high school, Christian Brothers, uh, just kind of a few years apart there uh, outside of Memphis. Uh, Sean played collegially at Indiana University and turned pro in 1992. He won once on the Nike Tour, now the Web.com Tour, at the Greensboro Open in 1999. Then, Actually, the year prior, won internationally at the Singapore Open. We all remember his fantastic win at the 2003 PGA uh, Championship. I'm sure you remember that he won the tournament with one of the greatest finishing shots in PGA Tour history. On top of that PGA Championship, Sean's had 20 top 10 finishes and 57 top 25 finishes out on tour. Plus, he's a heck of a great guy, and I'm thrilled to have him back next on the tee with me this morning. Sean, thanks for taking time out of your morning to come back on the show. Oh, you're welcome, Chris. Good morning. So, Sean, you, you told me you're down in Florida. You're working on your game. How, how, are, th- how are things going? How are you feeling going into the 2015 season? Yeah, I feel I feel okay. I do. I uh, I took a little time off in the winter to uh, to do some hunting and spend some time with the family, and um, I, you know, I pretty much shut it down. But found a place down here in um, uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, to practice for for a month. I'm here for another couple of weeks, so um, just trying to see what 2015 holds for me. So when you when you look forward to the rest of the golf season, Sean, have you set some goals for yourself? What do you, what are you looking or hoping to achieve this year? Well, there was a couple of things. Just uh, you know, I think physically, I wanted to, I guess technically in my golf swing, I wanted to try to fix. I wanted to try to get you know be a little bit more consistent with my swing. There were a couple of things uh, that I think really needed needed some work. So I I came down here and actually found a someone that I wanted to work with, a guy named Mike Malizzi out at the Harbor Ridge Yacht Club, and I was over there last week, was working on a couple things, so I'm not exempt, so I've got plenty of time to, to try to work on some of these things, but as far as setting goals, I mean, I think uh, my goals have certainly changed, you know, each and every year, it's funny, um, you know, I think a goal of mine this year is just to play a couple of events, really, it's uh, just, I don't, I don't have access uh, like I used to have, and um, so I'm going to be forced probably to do some Monday qualifiers and possibly go to Europe and play, which uh, which is okay with me. I've done I've done plenty of world travel, so we just have to wait and see. But I'm going to have to you know enjoy these next two or three weeks and try to tidy up the golf swing a little bit and uh, then kind of lay out a plan for for doing some qualifiers. 
Sean, when I was doing some further research, you know, on, on your career and, and, you know, your time back, you know, obviously when you burst onto the scene in 03, I read an interview you did with the BBC prior to the 2013 PGA Championship that was back at Oak Hill where you won in 03, and you said that you were going to be more nervous than at any other point in your life because you've been carrying around the burden of being a major winner but without having done anything else, which is which is a little surprising to me because you you have achieved so much. You, you, you've got you know top 10 finishes and top 25 finishes. What makes you feel like, or at least what made you say at the time, that you feel like uh, you haven't done enough? Well, I mean, I, I, maybe I've mentioned this before. You know, I think when you're when you're a golfer, um, you know, major championships are they're definitely at the at the top of the, of the pecking order with as it relates right. to just historical significance and um, personal personal significance. I think um, everybody wants to win one, but I think in order to do that, there's t- there's a there's a process that guys have to go through, and even ladies on their tour. And you know, and that's first, you know, getting your card competing and 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 playing at a high level for a while, and then maybe winning a few events and then getting in some of these major championships because they're, you know, they're not easy to get into. And, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so if you've qualified for one, you've played pretty well. Um, but I, I, there was no process really for me. Yeah, I played, I played okay. Uh, was starting to feel comfortable, um, out on tour. Uh, it took me a few years to kind of get that experience and, and just the comfort uh, of just being out there and, and meeting new people and, and, uh, playing these, you know, it's these tough courses. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, I mean, I was having a decent year that year in 03 and had a couple couple good finishes up leading up to the PGA. And then when I won, it was uh, just kind of, I kind of just jumped into the fire. But I say all that because I, I really didn't have the process in place um, for how I was going to feel after winning a major championship. I mean, I had certainly have dreamed about that, had dreamt about that as a child, you know, winning a tournament, uh, you know, winning a major championship yeah. like all of us do. But uh, <clears throat> I don't think I was really ready for um, the firestorm inside of me, um, the questions and the self-doubt and everything else about, you know, how I was going to upstage um, that win. You know, it wasn't, I mean, I, <laughs> it wasn't like I won. I think it was the way that I won. I mean, to cap, to cap off the tournament, at the 18th hole, I mean, all of us dream about, you know, making the last putt. Maybe it's a 15-footer or 20-footer or 30-footer or whatever it may be. But to hit a shot and they're two inches from the hole and to know that the tournament is mine, um, you know, it just it just was uh, – you couldn't script it any better. Um, you know, those are the types of things you almost wish are at the very end of your career just to cap it all off. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that there have been times where, you know, not that I thought about just calling it a career, but um, that moment is you know, that thought has crossed my mind several times because I just even even after I won, <clears throat> excuse me, it didn't take long to realize how was I going to like I said upstage that event, and I just carried this burden around for a while, and um, I played well in '06 and finished second to Tiger at Medina and felt really good about my game, and then I got hurt. And I continued to play that way. So, um, you know, for all of the guys out there and the ladies, too, that have played this great game and have been kind of uh, glamorized, if you will, by not winning a major championship and how much hurt they must have. I mean, I think of Lee Westwood and I think of Steve Stricker and I think of Sergio Garcia. Their careers have been incredible. Their Hall of Fame careers. 
um, and yet people still write about how much it must hurt to not have won a major championship at this point. Well, I can tell you how hard, how much it hurts to have won one and to not have done a lot of other stuff. And uh, it's a humbling game. Um, you know, the, you know, the one thing is, you know, I won that tournament. I, I deserve to win. I played the best. You know, I slept on the lead for two nights of a major championship, and that's and that's not easy right. to do for someone who's really um, just kind of getting into his tour career. So um, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I feel bad that uh, that I got hurt in 07 and, and tried to play. It just was bad timing. And although I'm pretty healthy now, other than the heart surgery I had last April, um, it's just, it just kind of seems to be one thing after another, and uh, you know, so I'm kind of working my way through some of that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of a couple of things, kind of based on what you just you just said, Sean. And, you know, I'm I'm curious, you know, because you you did talk about how you may not have been ready for what that meant and winning a major. And as you said, you sat on the lead for a couple of nights. Did you ever allow yourself to think during the course of that tournament that, boy, I could actually win this thing and what that would mean? Because I I know I'd be back at the hotel thinking to myself, holy cow, I could win a major here. Oh, of course. Of course I did. I mean, I think this only has human nature, I think. Um, And I think everybody, when they tee off on Thursday morning, I don't care if you're a club professional that's qualified to the – PNC or, uh, you know, you're a, a, a seasoned player or a Hall of Famer. I mean, when you get to the first tee and the PJ of America has that trophy out there, all of us have, have dreams and aspirations of thinking, God, would it be nice to hold that trophy? Um, there's only one guy that's going to do it, and you got to get through four days of the most difficult courses that, you, you know, that you can play in order to hold the trophy up, and that's kind of what I did. I kind of survived and um, you know, I played well, and I think it was disappointing. I think in, in 13 because, you know, when I won, there was only two people that that broke par, and the go- and of course the golf course was totally different. It was firm and fast. It was extremely hot, um, but you know, it was a little disheartening. I think to to go back in 13 and see there's like 22 or 23 guys under par, and the course had changed a little bit, uh, soft and everything else. But they they always get a deserving champion. The guy that plays the best that week you know, wins. And I think, um, you know, so everybody, everybody is in the right mind, I think, to, to, to want to, you know, dream about holding the trophy. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's no different than any other, any other job that you do. Everybody has dreams to reach the highest level and, uh, it's fun when you do. So you, you talked about a moment ago, Sean, you know, the, how the pressure and the, and um, the folks in the media writing about guys like Sergio and Lee Westwood who, who haven't won majors. And you're sort of like at the 180-degree, you know, side, opposite side of that, having won one but not more after that. Have, have people, you know, have, have the media or other folks, you know, written stories about that sort of thing and, and lumped pressure on you by saying, you know, as opposed to going to Sergio, go, gee, why haven't you won a major and you haven't won a major constantly? reminding him how he hasn't have people done the opposite to you coming to you saying why haven't you won more on tour and boy you won that major but you know you haven't done anything else since has that been something that you've had to deal with oh yeah that 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 grates on me that that question because um you know there's one particular there's one particular writer that uh that i have a huge disdain for and that would be dan jenkins um you know dan jenkins penned a penned an article 
that you can find on the internet. Um, I don't remember what year it was written. It might have been, might have been oh nine, maybe ten, maybe even a little bit later than that. And he penned the article basically saying that of all the major championships that have been conducted, the 2003 major championship, all four of them were probably going to go down as the worst in history. Um, and not just because of the four winners, but also because of the four guys that finished second. And uh, he said we were double-dipped. Um, I also had a tweet from him last year that said, um, basically, that he was going to compile an all-star list of the worst major winners, um, starting with me and Todd Hamilton, uh, which which prompted wow. a response from me to you know to get into a, kind of a verbal battle, and obviously he's an experienced writer. Um, the one thing that I would really love for him to hear from me or to, to be told to his face is that what he does, anybody in this world can do. I can I can go to school like I did. I can get an education. All of us can do what he did and does. He has just uh, he had turned a Hall of Fame writing career, and he, as far as I'm concerned, ruined it by trying to be funny and... Uh, Meanwhile, my trophy and my name sits on that trophy and forever in history will be on that trophy. So I've I've escaped relatively unscathed, but I was just sickened, you know, to to have seen this this quote-unquote respected journalist who uh, felt like he needed to to make, uh, keep his comedic writing uh, going, even at 84 years of age. It's unfortunate, and uh, I'll I'll just leave it at that. I'm afraid to get yeah, talking no further with that. <laughs> I understand, but good for you. So, Sean, are, are you feeling now since you know we're we're a little over a decade removed from that win? So expectations aren't what they were. Do you feel that more people now are rooting for you because we want to see you make it back to the top of the leaderboard? Oh, I mean, I think so. I mean, you know, I, I, you can just look at it and, and uh, look at Tiger Woods and kind of what's going on with him right now. Um, you know, there was a – he played the villainous role for a while, just I think because of his standoffish nature with maybe the fans and even some of the media. He's all, Of course, he's always been gracious with his time, you know, uh, you know, in speaking to the media. He's just not always been as forthcoming as maybe some other players have been. So I think you know he started that trend, and then and then as his game kind of ascended, uh, you know it was like that, and then he started to kind of fall apart a little bit. You know I think people always kind of root for those types of stories. Right. You know you have to be careful in 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 burning any bridges and all bridges on your way up because there's not going to be anything left for you on your way down. And you see a lot of a lot of things that are being written. Um, Some say that uh, you know it's sad. It's sad to watch. It's hard to watch this guy that held. Um, you know, uh, you can argue the Grand Slam was a non-calendar Grand Slam, but, um, you know, and some people are just saying it's karma. So there's writers of all styles and, and uh, out there. And so I, I feel a little bit of that about that. Of course, not at his level. You know, all of my friends are asking me, you know, what are you going to do? What are you, you know, what are your plans? And, I think it all just goes back to people not really understanding how the PJ Tour works and how the qualification process really works. And you and I have kind of gone into that, you know, on an on an right. earlier show. But um, people don't really have an understanding. They think, oh, you got a PJ Tour card, that you must be out there playing, and it just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. I mean, you have to uh, you have to keep playing, you have to keep playing well, and. Um, but uh, yeah, I do find people that are that are very inquisitive as to 
to uh, what I'm doing, what my plans are. And, um, you know, I just basically tell them the same thing, that I've got kind of a two-year plan, really, and that's the, there's a 48-49 category on the web.com tour uh, for guys that, that are going to go into the Champions Tour, and it's all based on career money. So I should be fine with the career money for the web.com exemption for a couple of years um, before I get out on the Champions Tour. Um, so I think people are just, they don't really know what to say to me, to be honest with you. They, they, they root for me. They want to see me get back. And, and, uh, and so I guess I'm, I'm working hard to try to <clears throat> try to accomplish that. But just with the qualification process of getting onto the tour now, it's, it's, it's just so difficult. But I certainly hope that my time hasn't come and gone with the PJ tour. I, I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, I can't remember what my last PJ tour event was. I, I, I mean, obviously I played the PJ last year, but, as far as the last PJ Tour event I've played, it's been a couple of years. So I, uh, I'm working hard and hoping to get back. So uh, you talk about exemptions. You're exempt until you're 65 to play in the, the PGA Championship. And this year it's up at Whistling Straits. Are you looking forward to playing that course and competing up there? Yeah, you know, actually the, both both times that we've played there, I've actually played pretty well. Um you know, when I defended, that's where I defended my title in 2004. And I remember right. getting off to a really, really rocky start. Just um, the golf course had changed so much between the first round and when I played my media day, I guess that would have been May of 04. Um, I went up there and did a media day. And they had changed the golf course and made it a little bit easier. And uh, came back with three really good rounds and, and uh, played pretty well there in 2010, um, I think. But it's a it's an interesting course. It's a unique course. It's it's obviously you know Dustin Johnson and what happened to him uh, in 2000. What was that? 2010, I guess. You know, out of the bunker. It's a it's a quirky course, and hopefully they'll have some right. uh, some of these bunkers either 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 moved or grassed over or something. Um, but it's a great golf course. It's got plenty of plenty of space. Um, you know, for spectators to walk and, and uh, of course, plenty of space for us to hit, hit crooked shots, too. But um, particularly <laughs> with, with Lake Michigan right there, too, it's it's a, it's a wide open course, which, you know, doesn't really suit my eye. So you really have to, you know, have to spend some time in the practice rounds kind of getting your lines. But it's a, it's a beautiful piece of property, and, and Herb Cole and Pete Dye did a great job with it. Sean, a couple more before we let you go. We've got our next guest, Missy Bertiotti, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Missy here in just just a moment. Um, switch gears on you a little bit. As a University of uh, Indiana alum, were you happy that Ohio State won the national championship to restore some luster back to the Big Ten, or is it hard rooting for a, a Big Ten rival? No, you know, i got some good friends. You know, Gary Nicholas went there, Chris Smith, uh, you know, went, went there. So i got some good friends that went there. I, You know, I'm a Big Ten guy, and um, you know, I'll always support them. It was kind of a down year. I mean, I, I'm rooting hard for my Indiana Hoosiers. I went up last year, took my son up to uh, Indiana for a basketball game and, and got to spend some time with Coach Wilson and, and everything, and, and they're on the right track. But, uh, no, it was definitely good to see. I mean, I think it was uh, – it was. I thought the game was going to be a little closer than it was. I mean, Ohio State really, really looked sharp. And um, they looked good the last, you know, well, they lost the first game, I guess, to Virginia Tech, and then they went on the streak. And to think that they did that after going through a couple of quarterbacks, um, it looks like their future is pretty, pretty bright in Columbus. So, um, 
you know, I was disappointed when the season was over. I thought that the playoff system went off uh, very well. Um, you know, maybe they're going to expand to eight teams. Um, you know, it's all about the almighty dollar. And there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of people, I think, got a lot out of those two games, or the three games. And uh, right. it, it was fun to watch. I, I'm disappointed that football is over because there's not a whole lot to do. And I'm not much of a golf watcher when I'm not playing. You're also a, a, a Tennessee Titans fan, and you know, Sean, I'm, I'm I'm a Steelers fan. I'm from Pittsburgh, and our former defensive coordinator Dick LeBeau is now an assistant with the Titans. Were you excited to see him come on board and what he might be able to do for the Titans defense that ranked 27th in the league last season? Yeah, I don't. You know, Kylie, they they just uh, it, it's been frustrating to watch them. They can't seem to keep anybody healthy at quarterback. I can't figure out what Mettenberger is he gonna is he gonna be the face of the franchise at some point, Jake Locke. I just don't know. I mean, it's, what a tough, tough job. I guess I'm glad I, I chose golf. But uh, I can't believe <laughs> he's even still coaching. I mean, Dick's got to be how he's got to be mid to late 70s. But you know, when you when you right. have that love for the game, uh, you just don't ever want to give it up. And um, you know, his mind is obviously still there. He still commands a lot of respect. So I'm hoping that they that they are able to to get some some talent surrounding you know, surrounding the coach. And uh, I root for him, and, I, you know, I listen to him. I haven't been to a game in a couple of years, but, um, you know, I'm definitely pulling hard for him. Sean, how can our uh, listeners stay up to date with all the things that you're doing, you know, what, what events you decide to play in 2015 and uh, and follow you on social media? Yeah, you know, I do stuff. I, I, I just got on Facebook a couple months ago, so uh, you can just type my name in there, Sean McKeel, and then I'm at Sean I'm at, I'm at Sean McKeel PGA on Twitter, and uh, not as not as involved with Twitter anymore. Just too many too many negative things out there. I still post a few things. Um, it's definitely a great way, I think, to to kind of get the new equipment out there for my fans and my friends that they want to see some of the things that I'm doing. So. Um, I spend a lot of time reading up on current events and um, and everything, and that's kind of how I get get all my news from Twitter. But, but as far as posting, I don't post a whole lot of stuff on there. But I'm at Sean McKeel PGA, and then of course, just Sean McKeel. You can find me on, on Facebook. Awesome, Sean. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your morning to come back on the show. You know we're rooting hard for you. We think so much of you. You're such a great guy and easy to root for. We hope uh, hope physically you're, you're, you're fine, and then uh, you know, hopefully very soon we get the opportunity to see your name back at the top of the leaderboards because, uh, like I say, there's, there's not a finer individual on the planet than you. Well, I appreciate that, Chris, and just the hats off of me. Thank you to the, uh, to the men and women of the armed services. All right, Sean, take care. We hope you'll come back and uh, and join us again soon. In the meantime, all the best to you and your family. Thanks, Chris. You as well. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care, Sean. Okay. Sean McKeel, and I'm telling you, and I mean that sincerely because uh, I've had the privilege of talking a little bit offline with Sean. He is just such a great guy and so easy to root for because of that. And, uh, I really hope that uh, this 2015 season he uh, he's able to you know get his game going, get it back to where it was, climb up the web.com tour, and uh, and then hopefully at Whistling Straits uh, he is a guy that's contending for that title because he uh, he has certainly he has certainly deserved that opportunity. All right, now back with me on the Kyvin, or on the uh, Custom Golf Bags USA Golf uh, guest line is Missy Bertiotti. Let me give you some background on Missy. She was born and raised in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so you know she's awesome from the get-go. 
She won back-to-back Pennsylvania State Championships in 1980 and 81. She attended the University of Miami on a full golf scholarship and was a part of their 1984 National Championship team, receiving medalist honors. She played 14 years on the LPGA Tour and won the 1993 Ping Welch's Championship up in Boston. She's had several top ten finishes on tour, including some of the PGA or LPGA's majors, like the 88 LPGA Championship and 88 U.S. Open. She was the first ever women's golf coach at Carnegie Mellon University up in Pittsburgh, and now she's focusing her time on golf instruction, both with the mechanics of the game and the mental side of the game. And I'm excited to have her back next on the tee with me this morning. Missy, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, thank you. Thank you. It's always nice to hear somebody uh, introduce you like that. <laughs> Usually it's just like, hey, what's up? Let's... No, I'm doing great. Thank you, Chris. Good for you, Missy. I, I know you're yeah. down in Florida watching your son's tennis tournament. How's he doing? He's at 12 o'clock. I, I, he always gets mad at me because I say, you're teeing off today at 12 o'clock. He says, Mom, we do not tee off in tennis. But it's a... So he has a 12 o'clock tea time, and I'm—I probably get more excited and nervous for him than him. He's—he's he's almost 16, and I'm just happy for him. Gets an opportunity, you know. So every everything's good with me. Good for you. Good for him. So, yeah. Missy, you're a wonderful teacher of the game of golf, and one of the many programs you have now is about the mental side of the game. And with everything going on with Tiger Woods, that's a really hot topic. Right now, you know, Bobby Jones used to say that golf is a game that is played on a five-inch course, the distance between your ears, and Ben Crenshaw kind of put his twist on that by saying, I'm about five inches from being an outstanding golfer, and that's the distance my left ear is from my right ear. Talk about how people, you know, how you are able to help people deal with the mental side of the game. It's such a simple question, and it's such a big, broad answer, right, I, I believe. But... You know, last night I was even reading some blogs from some really renowned instructors, all all diagnosing Tiger's situation. But I guess if I have to discuss this in a couple minutes, what I'd say is, you know what I believe, Chris? I don't think anything is separate. I don't – I've heard the whole – argument if you can compartmentalize this and still perform well over here. I personally don't believe that. I, I just don't believe that. And I think Tiger has, it's obviously both, you know, it's always connected. So I think he has on course, off course. He has a big life. He has complications. He, for so long, he, as a human being, as a competitor, didn't seem to have that uh, affect his game. But I think now it's showing up his just just everything, dealing with everything, injuries, children, you know, dating. It's affecting him, changing instructors, of right. course, mechanics. And right. I just think he's a guy like everybody else. Now, of course, he's shown absolute brilliance. But he's just having to redeal with everything again. And it's not as easy as people think to just turn it around. Yeah. And, and I, I go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, you know, I, I I know Missy, you you do a lot of work with younger golfers, right? And and helping them deal with, you know, 
fear or playing under pressure, having doubts. Exactly. You talk about you know Tiger maybe having doubts in his own game right now, and and you know and and for all of us golfers, you know when we get out, of, you know part of part of our problem getting on our own way is we're trying too hard and expect too much perfection out of the, out of a game that's you know hard to reach perfection. I don't know that anyone's ever done it. How do you go about right. helping young golfers try to deal with these sorts of things? Because we we put our you know we make habits right early, and that's going to you know define who we are later. How do you help them deal with these kind of situations? Right. You know, the first thing I try to do, Chris, is discuss fear, is discuss nervousness. You know, just absolute embarrassment because that is happening. Tiger's experiencing it. Um, it happens, but so many of the sixteen-year-old boys, especially. Um, they don't want to act like they're afraid. They don't even want to admit it's happening. So then they never get to deal with how to deal with it. And so I think what I try to do, I'm, I try to be a relatable, um, approachable, disarming, and just say, hey, here's how it, here's how it is. Here's what happens to the best of the best. And it's just so good now that, well, it's good for us armchair quarterbacks and instructors to use Tiger as, I mean, here's the best guy in the world. Nobody's exempt. So here's what happens. Here's what I saw every day on the LPGA Tour, the best ladies. I play with enough pro men. Here's what I saw. So here's how they deal with it. So how do you? And so when you first start the conversation with these young players, it's a lot of denial, a lot of resistance. And then we gradually get into starting to learn how to how they've dealt with fear. They don't even know how they do it. But then we really get specific and do, I don't mean to be vague, but we do exercises in a classroom. And I put them on the spot. You know, embarrassment is embarrassment. I don't care if you're in a classroom or in the first tee of the U.S. Open. Now, obviously, there's varying degrees, but we all want to look good in front of our teammates. So you just have to, you just have to get them in the class I'd say in my in my situation and they'll start to even though they won't admit it they'll start to feel how they respond and then I start helping them catch how they respond and make better responses make better habits and then when they're on the golf course they're looking for that and they're not so shocked when it happens that's the short answer I don't I don't know how that that answers it exact obviously it's an ongoing ongoing situation but you have to to act like you don't have to work in this area, it's just you're just fooling everybody. And and I'll say one last thing, Chris. We, you know, it's not just about a mental game. We do. I, I I've always as a golfer, you have to practice your mechanics inside that um, awareness, inside that fear, that competitive arena. And, and and see how that fear affects you mechanically because it it changes some things technically, and and you make adjustments while you play. So it's uh, some it's of the not other... for the light of heart. <laughs> Indeed. Mm-hmm. Missy, some of the some of the things you 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 also talk to young athletes about. You do a young guns workshop where you talk about helping develop athletes, not just golfers, but good athletes, and that helps make players, you know, young players, better golfers. So many parents these days have their children kind of focused solely on one sport, where back, I think, when, when you and I were growing up, we played multiple sports. What are your thoughts about 
kids and, you know, whether it's you know better to focus on one or to play a broader range of sports? I'm, I'm on the phone a lot with parents and with this topic exactly. I am 100%. I've seen it for so many years, how, how many decades. If you bring me a 15-year-old young boy or girl, who is athletic, who has hand-eye, who has coordination in their hands, you know, knows how to swing a club, release a baseball bat, things like that. I can teach him how to, where to put his thumb and and things like that for golf. But if you, when you get that great golfer, great, you know, quote-unquote, at age 12, and they're very isolated from other coordination movement patterns, emotional toughness that you learn from maybe basketball or tennis or, you know, soccer, these things. That really, you they almost hit a ceiling too early, those golfers that seemingly are good at a young age. And then they kind of hit a, a ceiling at golf, maybe at 16, 17, 18, and they have to develop that, that mental toughness, that emotional toughness, that how to – you know, how to compete, how to get down and dirty, whereas it's not just going to the driving range at 6 p.m. every Wednesday night and getting your one-hour lesson. That got them good at age 12, but it's not going to do it at age 17. And it's – I worked with a lot of the golf pros. Dr. Rick Jensen has a a program to, to certify us instructors with all the science and all the background and all the research that's done in this, TPI does a lot of research in this. So I try what they have always suggested to us coaches is it starts from the parents. And we, meaning me, we coaches have to educate the parents. And it's not sometimes easy because I believe, Chris, we're all tempted. You know, we're all seduced. We want our kids to look great. And when you've got your kid looking good at 12, you're not willing to make any changes. But when the kid's not good anymore at age. So it's a, you know, it's a long-term program. It's a long-term thinking process. And the the young athlete and the player's family has to be on board. And, and it takes, it takes everything. It takes communication within the family. If there's other children with time commitments and not favoring one athlete and money, the, the Brand Snedekers of the world, there's a lot of talk lately about the Bubba Watson, the Rocco Mediate, my neighbor, you know, from down the road in Pittsburgh was on TV lately, kind of saying they don't use teachers or they believe. Um, I'm not so sure. There's been a little rebuttal to that. Every time Bubba has played in a collegiate tournament, junior golf tournament, pro golf tournament, when he's talking with his buddy on the range, that's a that's a lesson. You know, that's not a lesson from a Butch Harmon, so to speak, but believe me, there's people in informing these young athletes all the way. They may learn a teeny bit, a little bit of information, and then a lot of practicing it, a lot of fiddling. That's great. That self-discovery, that is great. But Rocco, um, yeah, Rocco's a great guy. He's He's animated. Rocco's spent a lot of time and a lot of money on various instructors, too, so uh, these kids need some guidance. It's just if you there's very right. few that make it through on their own. Missy, like I, I mentioned at the top, you spent 14 years playing on the LPGA tour. Was it always fun 
playing on the tour, and were you ready to handle the mental side of the game when when you got out there, or did you put your programs together? Because had someone shared the principles that you share with the young players and you know players that you're instructing across the ages, the game would have been more fun, and you would have been you know, better prepared for what it has to bring. That's it, absolutely. And first off, here's what I will say: I have I'm so grateful for the opportunity I had. You know, you get older and you realize uh, when you're out there as a young person, that's just normal. But right now I'm 51. I've loved the fact. I, I loved it when I was out there. Was it always fun? No, no. It's embarrassing. It's hard work. It's exhausting. It's, you know, it's it's details. You have to have patience and it's trying. So, oh, have I, you know, beaten my head against the wall so many times doing that but I just feel like it just makes you competent as a person I, I don't know sometimes if I sound arrogant feeling that but I just think athletes know learn instinctively how to hang in there and life sometimes you have to hang in there but I think I know the main reason when I came off the tour I had my son I decided to stay home and raise him and I was looking around for what to do next. I have a finance degree. I love that. But I I feel fortunate, feel like the thing, the lessons I did learn out there that took years that I didn't know. I thought I was ready when I was on tour, but I learned very quickly I was not. So I you have to backtrack. And not many people take the time or have the the staying power to backtrack and relearn all those things and go through the embarrassment it took me six or seven years to win on tour and that, that's embarrassing when you felt like you know you're a big shot here i come tour and you just you know that's that was so all those things i put into my junior programs in pittsburgh and i just feel like if somebody would have prepared me better or or if i would have sought it out i just didn't know it's as simple as that my parents didn't know so it's been really an opportunity for me to – my son's been involved in those clinics, and it, when it's a group session the way I have it and kids in the community, it really gets fun, you know, and, and things really get brought to the table, and they learn a lot fast, and, and I've loved doing it. So I have – I feel really fortunate. Miss, when you, when you got out on tour – did did you find it were there, were there other players that were willing you know to sort of take you under their wing to kind of show you you know what what it means to be a, an LPGA pro and and what it what it entails to you know compete out on the tour or was it more the opposite where you know hey we're all we're all competing against one another every single week for a paycheck so it was sort of everyone for themselves. Yeah, I think this is really celebrated right now with Phil Mickelson taking on this um, elder statesman role with the young players, the um, Keegan. Um, you know, I can't say. I I think it's different in the fact that the the money is so different on the men's and women's tour, and especially back then. Like even the best, the top, I'd say ten to fifteen women on our tour back then. Those were the only the really women that, you know, really had a lot of, you know, what am I trying to say? Um, you know, their life wasn't that stressed. 
uh, the, the, the men just have such a cushion with the money they've already earned. It's easy to it's easier to befriend some younger players, to relax a little bit, to get to know somebody. I think our women were just so uh, focused that it really it is an individual sport. It is not like college. Even in college, you know, you have friends and you have somebody to talk to after the round, but you're still by – it's a solo sport. So I can't say – I had some good friends. I don't want to make it sound like that. Uh, and the older players at the time were Nancy Lopez, Sandra Palmer, uh, Jane Geddes for that degree, Patty Sheehan, Amy Alcott, maybe Rosie Jones was a little bit older. But I, I would say they were pleasant, friendly, approachable, and I learned just simply being around them, playing with them. But it seems like these days, uh, you know, Phil really takes a uh, – it's very conscious that he wants to push Keegan because Phil knows him hanging around Keegan feels getting better also. And I think that's great Phil is aware of that and doing that. Going back to your victory on tour at the 1993 Ping Welch's Championship, you won that event over Dottie Pepper on the fifth playoff hole. Talk, you know, you talk about focus and you know mental toughness. You had to have that as a young player on some level because you had to stay mentally tough in that playoff to beat her for five playoff holes. And Dottie Pepper, at the time, you know, that year she finished fourth on the money list. So. Talk about internally, you had to have some gumption in you to be able to focus in that time winning your first event against a player of her caliber. Right, right. And earlier when you and I were talking and I said, you know, I thought I was tough, mentally tough when I got on a tour and I found out I wasn't. Now, that's at my standard and my level. Like those ladies were fantastic. So I wasn't horrible. I just had to get better to be, you know, in the top whatever, 20, 30 every week. Right. And Dottie certainly was one of those ladies. And there were, you know, it's kind of confusing as a young player. For me it was because there's Dottie style, who Dottie was, really didn't speak to too many of her competitors, was really the Ben Hogan type. And then you had, um, you know, the Arnie Palmer, the Chi-Chi Rodriguez types that talked a lot. We, we have a character, Lori West, who was fantastic at that. I didn't know my style. I didn't know how, I am. I can't be a, uh, more of a dotty, and so I was—I just couldn't find it how to relax and be the best out there. It's a big change when you have to interact with a gallery, be on TV versus playing with the guys in your backyard or in college. Nobody's watching. You just do your thing. So it's—it's it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. But I did. I, I loved that victory, obviously over Dotty. That was my—you uh, know—my first, and then turned out. I—I I, I really. Kind of after that, I was more involved with my husband at the time and my son, and that was it. As soon as I had my son, I stopped playing, and that and I thought I'd go back after I got him into school, but I went back for a tournament, literally a tournament or two, and I was looking at my watch while I was out there on the course on the 13th hole, and I just knew that's just not going to work. I just my interest was it more at home. And I've I've been home ever since, and I live in Pittsburgh, and I coach part-time all around my son's schedule. Right now he's in that age where it's less, it, you know, you know what it is as parents. It's, it's I'm a taxi cab, so yeah, I'm a, you know, a professional <laughs> caddy in the tennis tour. 
and I I miss <laughs> I look you know I miss my professional career, but I have no regrets. I I love what I'm doing, and I so we'll see in two years we'll see how much more I can take on or want to take on. But for now, I've I just wanted to enjoy this stage of life. I've seen too many of my friends, men and women golfers, do both and try to squeeze in a practice session here and travel. I I just, I don't want to do it. I just want to lead a really simple life. It's relaxing. All my family's around town. It's it's really, I would say, normal, which you are not normal as a tour player for a long time. <laughs> You're just not. So I feel very, um, it's just so easy. I, I sometimes feel like I have no discipline anymore, but I, I still do. <laughs> <laughs> Missy, just a, a couple more be, before we let you go. And you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of of, of your website, MissyBertiotti. dot com. I've, I've downloaded your free training schedule. I've had the privilege of ah. of talking with Gary Player a few times, and he talks about how most golfers spend too much time hitting balls with their drivers and when, when the majority of the game is played from 100 yards in. And you seem to follow that same philosophy, philosophy because your schedule has the majority of the time being spent pitching and chipping and putting. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just real simply state it, it's an ego thing maybe is an easy way to summarize it. But just statistically, you can't, it doesn't lie. You, the game of golf is a – within a hundred yards and you just have to, you have to do it. There's so many, you know, people that bang it that don't go anywhere, but what you can even see on my site and my other site also will be coming out probably in a couple of days or two, Chris. It's funny. We always talk again, but I'm right. I get a lot of requests from women to please help them. They want to be taught by a woman. Now I have had all the juniors, the, my son going on. So I've said no a lot, but I'm I'm starting a I've got a partner. I've got a business partner and we're going to do 3-day golf schools and teach women and mostly business women who want to use golf to advance their business careers. So we have a really nice curriculum that I've used all the time for for the women golfers I've taught. I used to take them on golf vacation trips and we do. We work on the short game and pitching and the mental the mental side as far as embarrassment. You know, how to play with a colleague and feel like because you're not a great golfer, that won't take away your ability to to do business with him or her. And that it's it's the same in whatever arena, sports, business. So I love doing that. It's nice to be it's nice to work with intelligent people and these are all intelligent people and it's nice they value golf and they like my sport and they value my background. So I'm really excited to be we're doing five events for the two thousand fifteen at Troon Golf Properties. I used to be sponsored by Troon wow. on Tour, so they're first-class resorts, and it's it's a three-day business golf experience. There's going to be a, a business schedule where there's, uh, like I said, my partner, she's going to deliver you know, lessons in that world, as to how to how to conduct yourself within that world with typically men. So I'm looking forward to that opportunity, too. And like this I'm really looking forward to that. And I'll, we do a fitness portion program, you know, for the women. And I teach them indoors, in private. So no, <laughs> there's no worry about how they look. There's no concern about results. And I get them to get physical. And oftentimes, 
I really, that has to be developed. I've studied all the TPI. I love it. So I get these ladies knowing how. We absolutely develop their competence. But, um, yeah, we do indoor exercises. They'll go home. They'll be putting in their office. I have the putting tracks, all the metronomes. They're, don't worry. They will they'll get the they'll get it. So I'm looking forward to that now too. Five events through the year, uh twenty golfers max, you know, small intimate settings. I think it's gonna I can definitely spend a lot of time on that and I won't be overextended. So I think it's gonna be a nice addition to my daily schedule, my lifestyle. So I'm excited. Absolutely. So you got us a little excited. So where, <laughs> when it's ready, where will we be able to find it? You know, okay, MissyBertiotti.com has all my stuff, and there'll be a link to the Business Business Golf Academy, and you can find out everything there. I honestly, I would say, going to be Monday, Chris. So we're two days okay. in advance. So this is a is this a scheduled great prep? Did you great going there? You're a good PR person. <laughs> yeah, MissyBertiotti.com. <laughs> I'm easy to find. I'm I, I'm not a big Twitter though person. I I listen to Sean. I'm kind of with him. I I do Facebook and I I read Twitter, but I don't post that frequently. Hardly ever, actually. All right. Well, MissyBertiotti.com. So we look forward to you know. Like I said already, I'm already a big fan of your site. So now adding this this component to it, it's going to be fantastic. Missy, Thanks a thank lot. you so much for taking time out of your day to come back on the show. You're 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 just a wonderful person, and I and I and I can't thank you enough for uh, coming back on the show. I hope you'll continue to come back, and once you got that that oh, site up and going, you. we'd like to hear more about it and get all the details, and then obviously your insights for what's going on around the game of golf because you're uh, you're fantastic. Chris, I really thank you so much for that. I thank you very much. It's glad to glad to be with you this morning, and I'll be. I'll be in touch for sure. Thank you. Thank you, Missy. Best, best of luck to your son with his, with his tournament, uh, his tennis <laughs> tournament as well. But, you know, all the best to, to both of you. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Take care, Missy. Goodbye. Missy Bertiotti, again, MissyBertiotti.com. And let me just make sure you spell the last name. It's B E R T E O. T-T-I, so MissyBertiotti.com. And uh, as you can hear from, you know, how passionate she is in her voice and just uh, the comments she makes, and um, I mean it sincerely, what what a wonderful individual Missy Bertiotti is. So check out her site again, MissyBertiotti.com, for, for more information. Great great uh, lessons on there. And then uh, this upcoming business piece, fantastic stuff. All right, before we close up shop, I want to let you know about a new book from our friends Dave Stockton and Dave Stockton Jr. that uh, we want you to take a look at, and it's called Own Your Game. We talked so much today and in the last several weeks about the mental side of the book, uh, mental side of the game. And this latest book, they let you know how to use your mind to play winning golf. Own Your Game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Dave Stockton at one of his highly sought-after corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion tour player and a revered coach. So he shows you how to do this. He shows you how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently, and most importantly, how to enjoy the game more thoroughly. So go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy. And for a couple extra dollars, he'll even autograph it for you. I got mine coming. So uh, you're going to love this book. Fantastic stuff. 
All right, everybody, it's time to put a bow on this edition. My sincere thanks again to Sean McKeel and Missy Bertiotti for being such wonderful guests with me this morning, two outstanding individuals. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, and we can't thank you enough for tuning in. You know we appreciate you the most. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate uh, Thursday Night Tailgate with me and uh, my co-host Bob Lazari, our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live Every Thursday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, you can find us on Blog Talk Radio and starting at 10.15 Eastern Time on Armed Forces Radio. Plus, on Friday nights, you can hear us from 8 to 10 Eastern Time over on Boost Radio. Uh, And then uh, starting again 11 o'clock on Armed Forces Radio, it gets rebroadcast. We're joined every week by legends from around the NFL and the CFL. Please also check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. And you can find us online. This show, nextonthetee.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free and uh, keep up to date with uh, who our future guests are going to be. Thanks once again for choosing to listen today. I appreciate that very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. of a drill instructor directing a musical. Town hut! Get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands! Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, left, left and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.